This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia, Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Cynthia Foldendor, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF Brown. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee's School of Theology, Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. The CBF podcast exists to invite a variety of perspectives into a conversation to give us a broader understanding of the world. And at times that means that we might have challenging subjects where we might not agree. Um, the focus and the importance is uh, that we're having a conversation together. For some, this week's episode might be one of those difficult topics. And for that, we turn to our conversation. Our guests for this week's CBF podcast conversation are Lori and Matt Krieg. Together, they are the co-hosts of the Whole in My Heart podcast and authors of An Impossible Marriage. Matt and Lori, thank you for joining the conversation. Yeah, Thanks we're having us. Well, let's get to know you a little better, uh, the people behind the mic and the writing. Uh, Lori, we'll start with you. Out, outside of your work, uh, what would you want people to know about you? 
Uh, outside of work is we have Matt and I have been married about 12 years now. We got three little kids, six, four, and one, and a puppy, as I was telling you before we recorded, as of last night, named Bingo. Uh, so um, we're just really grateful to have them in even snowy, cold Grand Rapids, Michigan. Awesome. Um, now, Matt, I know you're um, a licensed professional counselor. Um, it seems like um, your line of work might be in high demand during this pandemic. Uh, yeah, that, that is probably the understatement of the year. Um, it is. It has definitely been busy in the in the mental health arena um, in the past few months, and so yeah, definitely, definitely in demand. That's awesome. Well, I know friends that are in that uh, field, and the ability to be able to do things over video calls has certainly opened the door for a lot of people who maybe would have had difficulty walking into a physical building for the first time to seek, you know, counseling. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, um, as if marriage itself wasn't enough of a thing to do with another person, y'all decided to also write a book together. Um, <laughs> An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. This book takes readers into your journey as a couple um, to break down the barriers of gender and sexuality. Um, you wrote, just because Matt is attracted to women doesn't mean our marriage is whole. Just because I am attracted to women doesn't mean our marriage is broken. All right, so for a lot of people listening to this conversation, they might think to themselves, wait, what did he just say? Uh, so take <laughs> us a little deeper into the concept behind this book. Yeah. Um, Lori, we'll begin with you. Yeah, I'll just jump in. Um, so the first chapter, the, it, the beginning scene takes place with me wrestling with a question on a silent retreat and a snowy wintry day uh, here in Michigan. Um, I was really wrestling with a question, do I want to stay in my marriage? Um, seven years in, a repressed memory of childhood sexual assault uh, from a stranger resurfaced when my oldest daughter turned the age I was when it happened. So I didn't even know it was inside there, but bam, she hit the age. And all of a sudden I was having these vague flashbacks. Um, and it was a bigger challenge in particular, perhaps bigger. I don't want to even say that. It was a challenge when um, I already had these attractions uh, toward women that I was surrendering daily to the Lordship of Christ. And they weren't like a big of a challenge. Like I, I knew they were a part of me. I was in a same sex relationship in college, broke up with her, did a lot of soul work, felt called to marriage, not to mankind or men, but to one man in particular, Matt. Um, and there was a heart attraction that could lead to physical attraction. And God said, this is the dude I want you to, this is the mode marriage is the way I want you to do the mission to make disciples. And it's with Matt. So it wasn't like I was called to marry all men. It was just this heart connection to Matt. And so I said, yes, surrendering my broken sexuality, my version of broken sexuality, the Lordship of Christ for those seven years. But when this trauma memories resurfaced, the, they magnetized to those attractions to the same sex in the production. They, what they produced was this question, really, what do I want? Do I want to stay in this marriage? And even, you know, the, the way with which you describe our marriage, 
truly the world and even Christian world kind of is like, wait, it's like, I get kind of a get out of marriage free card or maybe Matt does, or like for sure this shouldn't work. But really that, um, that perception and that like way we cock our heads <laughs> at like our marriage in particular shows us that attraction as opposed to the gospel picture of marriage has really taken the front seat when we talk about marriage in the church and outside of the church. And I was no exception. So on that silent retreat, spoiler alert, but it's chapter one, which you can download for free on our site. Um, but I decided to stay, but I had a lot of big theological heart questions, trauma work to do relational with Matt really under the umbrella of these two questions that Matt and I unpack throughout the rest of the book via story. And these questions are really, truly, what is marriage? What's the purpose of it? Is attraction as big of a deal as we've made it? And then the second question is, what is sex in marriage? What's the purpose of sex in marriage? Like I'd heard, you know, it's the glue that holds a marriage together. and. I mean, in this season, sex was off the table. You're in a season of celibacy. And so, I mean, if that's the glue, if that's the report card in a marriage, we must be totally failing. But is it the glue? So those are the two questions uh, through our <laughs> impossible marriage that we really dive deeply into. Mm. Well, you know, um, I'm realizing that maybe for some in our audience that are listening to this, um, they might not be familiar with some of this terminology. So Matt, I wonder if you might explain uh, what you all mean by mixed orientation marriage. Yeah, so uh, mixed orientation marriage is just a, a marriage where one or both spouses, their, their default attractions are not toward the gender of their spouse. So, so for me and Lori, um, that means that that both of us happen to have our kind of natural default attractions uh, go toward women. Um, so Lori is not default attracted toward men. Um, and so that was, that's what makes a, a mixed orientation marriage. Now, um, y'all hit on some pretty heavy topics like sex <laughs> and gender and sexuality and pornography. Um, Let's talk about pornography for, for a second, because it's it's one of those topics that, um, man, I don't think the church talks about. Um, and you speak about pornography um, usage as a needs-based purpose, writing, but the need to be desired and to have purpose is not a bad thing. Those are good needs, but going uh, to pornography is a bad place uh, for them to be met. And you noted that 47% of adult men and 12% of adult women seek out pornography regularly. And you address this issue not in a way that I've heard before. So Matt, I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can because that that is a, a big part of my own just personal journey. That was a big part of our marriage journey. You know, Lori, Lori picks up the, 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 the marriage kind of narrative in year seven when this trauma memory um, kind of resurfaced for her. Um, but for the first six years of, of our marriage, um, you know, I, I was really struggling. I, I had kind of entered the marriage in this space where 
where my pornography addiction was was well managed but a year into marriage i really fell hard and and it just began this cycle of trying to to overcome kind of white knuckle through my own strength my own power just to say no to this thing that i knew was wrong um, and it wasn't until after I came clean, year six, that I started to be able to look at it and say, okay, rather than just saying no to pornography, what are the things, the, the, what we call core needs or core longings that, that I'm trying to have met through pornography? How can I say yes to those, to those good God-honoring needs and, and healthy um, ways that that are in alignment with uh, what the Bible teaches and that are honoring to to a my spouse and be myself and and ultimately God. Um, and so yeah, things like wanting to be desired, wanting to be included, wanting to be noticed. Um, sometimes it's a need for rest. There are any number of of these core needs that can work in tandem that that lead us down the path where we think kind of, subconsciously maybe that that pornography is going to meet those yet for anyone who's ever struggled with pornography addiction or addiction of any kind really there's this momentary pleasure that's followed by this just immense guilt sadness shame isolation all sorts of negative things um, and so it's not so much about how how hard you can say no it's how you can redirect and say yes to those good needs in, in a way that is honoring and, and assertive and, and actually takes place in your real life and real relationship with God, who is the only need meter, but then supported by these, these horizontal relationships that we have in our lives. Lori, to talk to you about it for a second, um, you know, whether it is um, whatever side of a marriage, um, you know, the other person who discovers kind of uh, their spouses or partners um, addiction to pornography, there's a lot of emotions associated with that uh, feeling of betrayal, feeling of, of wanting, feelings of, of inadequacy, you know, but y'all flesh this out in the book. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper into um, your perspective and journey um, as kind of the, the recipient of, of what can feel like a betrayal of, of your marriage. Yeah. And it, it is a betrayal, you know, according to, to Jesus in Matthew 5, just if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, it's adultery. And so, man, I was so mad. I was so raging angry um, simultaneously for the years of lies. But then, you know, you feel duped. And um, it wasn't so much like I felt stupid. I think that was an element of it. But it was mostly you know, I was, I was like, you were the one man I trusted. And truly, if I'm going to be very honest with you, like I've wrestled with my own perception of masculinity and toxic masculinity, whatever you want to say, I'll say unbiblical masculinity, where I'm just like, all every man wants is sex. Every man's battle is porn, you know, like, and I was like, but Matt, no, he's different. And then he comes forward and I was like, what? You're the one man that I trusted. And I was like, don't you know that it promotes sex trafficking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was about three days of intense anger and asking questions. And to Matt's credit, he was not defensive. He 
was head down. It wasn't even, I don't know if he was self-hateful. You can ask him that, but it was admittance, letting me ask every question and apologetic. And that helped a lot. But I'll tell you what, the thing that helped the most for me was exactly what Matt just so beautifully described was this heart stuff, guys. Because so often we don't understand the surface level behavior things like, you know, when we're talking about Lori's, she's attracted to her same gender, ew. Okay, but let's talk about the heart behind that. That might be my natural because of the fall default one of my several natural sinful defaults. I got a lot, I got lots of sin issues as many of us do, but it's, you know, one of them. Um, you might not understand that, but do you understand that need to be noticed and to be chosen and to be safe and to have purpose? We all have those needs. We just run to different places, but the Holy Spirit, day three of Matt and my having it out, um, really me just asking questions and him repenting over and over. Um, the Holy Spirit was like, Lori, what is Matt running toward? And I was like, porn, but that's like the worst. He's like, what is he running toward? And I was like, two women. Lori, what's one of your sinful defaults? <clears throat> <clears throat> running to women in my mind. Okay, so literally the same sin, Lori Craig. All right, Lori, ask him, why is he running there? I don't want to. Ask him, Matt, why are you running there? I just want to be seen and noticed and loved. Lori, why do you run toward women sometimes? I want to be seen and noticed and loved. Whoo, you guys, that was some really good conviction for me that helped us to have, you know, it's probably another year of processing forgiveness. Um, but it was such a good, humbling, Holy Spirit, empathetic moment. Let's talk about sex. Um, speaking of topics, I rarely, if not ever, actually talk to uh, my guest about. Um, <laughs> you ask, um, is our physical oneness impossible? Was physical sexual unity possible with us? Or are we just a footnote of impossibility? Is there a reason um, to have sex beyond having kids? Like really, what's the point? Lori, I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper in, into what you're trying to say here. Oh, I mean, so after recommitting to our marriage, I come back and one of the things I did after confessing to Matt for just, I didn't have a secret girlfriend. I wasn't looking at porn. There was nothing. It just was looking away from our marriage and asking, what if? Still sin, in my opinion, because it was covetousness. Even if it wasn't necessarily adultery, it's still coveting outside of this covenant, covenant that God created for us. So I started grilling my friends in that season about sex, not just friends, pastors, not just pastors, but reading books. And I was so, I, maybe it's just my default cynical heart, but when I'd ask my friends, I'd ask the spouse, I'm like, how is uh, the husband? Maybe how's sex with each other? And, you know, granted, this is maybe not a topic everyone has, but these were really close relationships and they knew some of the ways we were struggling. 
And I would maybe see the husband be like, oh yeah, it's good. But the wife's eyes would just flicker with pain. And I was like, liars. <laughs> and I felt like um, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anyone without hearing this was the predominant conversation that seemed predominantly all men want is physical connection with their wives and all the women want is their husbands to not want that and yet want emotional connection with their husbands and I was just so baffled it just felt like everyone was um lying and unhappy and I didn't understand why you keep pursuing each other physically. So for me, it was really, I had to dive into the theology of sex, for lack of a better term, both simultaneously marriage and sex. And I found answers there um, that I had a hard time finding, if I'm being quite frank, in, in close people, friends' lives, and even marriage books. Matt, what would you add to this? Yeah, well, I, I would say it's easy. It's easy for people to look at our marriage and, and specifically when, when the trauma kind of comes up in the book and all of a sudden we are not able to connect physically. Um, and it's easy to look at Lori and say, well, okay, there's the problem. Um, but as, as we try and show in the book, like there, as she was going on her journey of recognizing the importance and the good that God created sex to be in marriage, I was having to approach it from the other end of the spectrum of, of not just recognizing the good, but saying, okay, this is good, but it is not ultimate. This is not um, something that's up on a pedestal. Because even after, even after I was, um, you know, had come clean and walked free of, of my pornography addiction, um, there was still this this focus, this, this kind of worship of sex, even though it was happening kind of in what on the outside looks like the God honoring biblical way. Um, I, I would say in my own kind of self-assessment, I was still approaching sex as just a consumer, um, not as a, a kind of covenant pursuer. Um, and, and so that was something that as Lori was, was really working on seeing the good, I was working on kind of keeping it in its place and not having it become this dominant force um, in my life and in my thoughts. And so the, the theology piece really helped both of us kind of come to the center um, to see that, yes, this is good, but this is not everything. I mean, y'all do a deep dive into talking about sex and intimacy. Um, you wrote, how in the world do you have a sexual relationship with your spouse if you aren't naturally attracted to him? Isn't the purpose of marriage or at least the glue that holds it together sex? And to have sex and marriage, don't you need attraction? Uh, Matt, talk to us a, a little bit about this statement. So, so when the trauma surfaced and all of a sudden sex was off the table, um, I remember being in the kitchen and talking with Lori and, and feeling like in many ways our marriage was better than it had ever been. Yet it was at a time when that physical connection was, was something that could not be pursued. Um, you know, if there was even a, an inching closer to that, it was like, 
Lori's defenses would go up because I was at that moment seen as kind of this like shark in the water as opposed to her, um, you know, covenant partner. Um, and so as we're sitting there like, man, I love this person more than I ever have. Yet this, this component, this physical component is something that has been removed and it's something that we can't, can't just outright pursue right now. Um, how do we start to look at the relationship differently and, and, and really say, okay, take a more holistic view of the relationship from an emotional standpoint and um, intimacy um, intellectually and, and socially and, and having the, the same, I don't want to say vocation, but the same uh, drive toward like our call and our purpose, you know, and, and how we use our resources. And so as we were looking at sex and how we couldn't really approach that spot, we started to have to work on and look at, okay, how do we cultivate every other area of our relationship? Because it, our closeness was developing, um, even in the absence of that physical peace. And, and so I guess the encouragement that, that I would say is, okay, yes, intimacy is possible even if sex is not. And that would be true for, for a relationship like mine and Lori's. That'd be true for a relationship that doesn't have this piece, but maybe has something else that is getting in the way of their connecting physically. And I, I would like to say like, okay, if we look at a couple who's maybe in their 80s, you know, and time has just had its, its, its toll on, on them and the physical abilities, the physical connection, that sexual component of the relationship has been diminished. We wouldn't look at that relationship who maybe has been married for, you know, 50, 60 years and, and say, oh, wow, poor them. No, we look at them and say, wow, that is a, that is a picture of lifelong covenant together. You know, and so I think too often we look at sex as the glue that holds a marriage together when no, it's supposed to be one piece of, of many things and ultimately of, of God that is holding us together. And, and sex is just one avenue that we can focus on to really cultivate and create intimacy. Um, in the book, we like to say that sex is not oneness in and of itself, but it can be a wash in oneness if it's pursued right. Lori? Yeah, so how can you, you know, have sex if you're not attracted to them? I mean, talk to any, maybe in particular, women who tend to be, I'm not about to stereotype everyone, more heart emotionally driven um, than men, generally speaking, who can be more physically wired. Talk to a woman who is wired this way who's been married more than five whole minutes and ask her, a straight woman, <laughs> ask her if she is always attracted to her husband. And even the husband, is he always attracted? And then she just always wants to have sex with him. No. And this really blew me away when I was doing my, <laughs> my grilling of friends. So I was like, what? You guys are straight as the day is long. And you say the same sentences I say and Matt says about our marriages. So it has to be that attraction is not the thing that can even 
always lead to a physical connection. There has to be what Matt was describing, this holistic, this heart connection, this spiritual connection, this intellectual connection that can lead toward this desire to um, have a physical connection that isn't only physical. It's holistic, which we haven't even hit on this uh, completely. But if we think about what is the what's the what's a purpose of sex? Is it supposed to point to heaven? It's supposed to point to that already not yet holistic union we will have with Jesus that we're going to have with God. He's, we're going to be married. Do I understand that? No, it's a great mystery. I don't know if anyone could actually like draw it. Like what's the, what's the marriage going to look like, but, um, we are going to be forever complete and sex is a glimmer of that holistic, not body only, not, oh, attraction, you're so cute, eyes only. It's holistic oneness that we're gonna have with God. And so it's so interesting that taking sex off the table and really asking these questions, and yes, our impossible marriage has helped us, I think, understand sex like for what it's supposed to really be. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK's Flourish Center has an exciting opportunity for youth leaders. Is your youth program at your church led by a lay leader who would love some youth ministry education but isn't able to complete a full master's degree? Introduction to Youth Ministry and Essential Topics in Youth Ministry are two workshops that are currently being offered online for youth leaders taught by experienced CBF youth ministers. Essential Topics in Youth Ministry includes six sessions and is only $50. The course begins on April 13th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. Videos are already pre-recorded for all six sessions for Introduction to Youth Ministry and are available now for just $25. Visit flourish.bsk.edu to register today. Y'all talk about marriage um, as a, you know, in a metaphor of a, of a garden, and there's all sorts of junk in these gardens, and including weeds. Um, Matt, what are some of the most common weeds in marriage? Yeah, so, so we, we identify kind of rocks, weeds, and mold. Um, and weeds would be kind of the things that we might innately turn to, um, but they, they're, they're just our sin tendencies. So, I mean, this could be, um, like, like for me, pornography was a big weed, but I, I would say that kind of the, the weed beneath the weed for me was, was escapism you know, a, a passive outlook on life and really looking to, to being entertained or to being um, not present in life. And, and so weeds are really anything that can kind of just continually grow. We got it like we would in a regular garden. We have to continually pluck them out of the ground. We can't let them just sit and silently take over the space, um, you know. And so for me, it was kind of this passive approach, escapism, consumption of, of media of, of I mean I was like a three screen at all times guy when I was addicted to pornography so it wasn't just porn that was my issue um, for other people the weed might be control a desire to 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 gain safety through just the outright control and maybe domineering communication anything um, we all have weeds we all have our sin tendencies um, and and in identifying them, the, the goal is to, okay, how can we help one another 
see when weeds are growing and when they are, I guess, not just well managed, but when they are kind of eradicated in our life, because the goal is not to just have to keep going, going back and pulling the same weed. Lori, what are the common rocks? Oh, I mean, so rocks would be, so Matt's talking about sin tendencies we bring into the marriage. Rocks would be things that were done to us that we bring into the marriage also, but it was not, not chosen. They, we, they were done to us. And I look around our world right now and everyone seems to be so hopping mad. Um, I really just want to sit everybody down and be like, who hurt you? And then they'd probably be mad. But I really, I think all of us bring rocks into our marriage of pain from imperfect parents. That's just the facts of life. We all have imperfect parents. Or for me, trauma. Um, that was a rock that I said felt like it was really growing mold or it really felt gangrenous uh, when I couldn't remove this trauma memory that just kept, I kept getting triggered and triggered and triggered though I used so every tool in my toolbox. Um, so they can be bigger, like, you know, capital T assault trauma, or they can be smaller, like never, this is still significant, but not being told I love you or your parents felt too busy or um, things like that. Those are the more, the more common or just different able abilities that we bring in. Um, you know, if you have health issues, those can be some of the common rocks. So, uh, I guess the question is, what's the best methodology of, um, de-weeding, weed eating and surfacing rocks within a marriage? Lori? Maybe I'll jump on the rocks one. Um, you know, we are at Matt as the therapist, definitely big fans of therapy. Um, but there's different ways that you can go about therapy. And so I did some sort of cognitive behavioral. So, you know, re rerouting your brain to be thinking different things, but I'll tell you what guys, one of the ones that's perhaps more controversial, um, maybe. I don't know. I just know it saved my life and saved my marriage. It was an element is what we write about in our book, which is this practice of simultaneous lament and visual uh, or listening prayer. So going back to these places of pain, whether they're capital T trauma or lowercase t trauma, you know, an incident with your dad or something like, I don't know why I keep thinking about that. It just keeps popping in my head. But with a trusted and trained friend who has the Bible over their eyes and ears and mouth, um, not literally, but that they just understand uh, the Bible. And um, if you're going off base in this visual prayer, but going in your mind um, uh, first to a place of peace, but then back to this memory and inviting Jesus into it. He doesn't change it. It's not like you can, oh, now it didn't happen and I've been magically fixed. No, but just seeing where was he? Because we don't always, we make assumptions about God and beliefs about God in these memories. I know I did, even though I was Christian since I was six. But when these trauma things happened, I've had multiple instances. Um, my belief with God, sure, I could tell you, gee, God loves me. But in that moment, I didn't even realize I was believing that god sent this person to hurt me or god actually hates me or he was somehow like too busy in that moment 
So with a trusted and trained friend to walk with you and help you to see who he is and his real character, um, you know, formed out of our knowledge of the Bible. I tell you what, guys, that that process of lament and visual prayer, it has it saved my life. And I'm not exaggerating. Switch gears a little bit. Uh, in the book, you talk about uh, gender not as a cosmic joke, but as a cosmic design. <laughs> and yet, at times, the the Bible doesn't exactly give the most gender inclusive language when it comes to uh, equality and rights, and especially you know within a marriage. So you know, as y'all are wrestling, um, not only in your own marriage, but also in writing this book and helping people as they consider marriage and uh, gender roles within marriage. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there into kind of where you are with gender and gender roles and, and all that as in regards to marriage. And Matt, we'll start with you. So, so this is, this is a space that we have definitely been growing in. Um, you know, we, we, we approached probably, we approached our marriage probably largely in a, in a pretty egalitarian standpoint not not because of theology but because i again wrestle with passivity and so um not not being a demonstrative leader you know or or, or having the ability to to kind of take charge or feeling like they I have the ability um to be a good leader for our marriage is something that i really struggled with um and and it's something that as we have been married longer and as we have continued to grow like there's just this recognition that that we are kind of wired a little differently um and and for me that i i constantly have to fight my desire to like I, I let go of the reins and and kind of step back and just watch um and so that that is something that as we've gotten older i guess we've probably taken more of a a step toward complementarianism. I don't think we're we're hyper complementary at, at this point, but but it's something that we we recognize. Like there is a difference here. There is a difference in the giftings that God has given us and the call that He has placed on our lives. Um, and and I don't I don't honestly know enough theologically I guess to make a an argument from from a universal like okay this is how all men or all women should interact in a marriage but I know for us that that has been more the trajectory of me learning to take the mantle of leadership on as a husband not just because I'm the man um, but because I feel like God has really called me to into this place of growth and and God has called Lori into a place of growth and, and trusting that that I actually can lead our family in a, in a more, I guess, robust capacity. I don't I don't know that that answers your question too much, um, but but that's kind of our personal, or at least my personal journey with it. Laurie, if you if you have something a little bit more nuanced, I guess you can jump in. Um, well, do you want us to go down this complementary egalitarian conversation, or do you want us to talk about sex difference? This is just an aside. Uh, it, no, I, I, I want you y'all to go where you think it should go. Um, I'm not asking a question with a, a manipulated intention in mind. 
All right. Well, if you have like a, a thought on it, you're welcome to let me guide. Um, okay. Well, you can take that out. Um, or even, yeah, whatever. Okay. So there was a draft of um, the book where we did get more into like looking into gender difference. And it's just so hard to make hard and fast universal rules. I do know this, the more I study the Bible, the more I actually wake up to how inclusive of women the Bible is and how radical Jesus is. And Paul, even though he gets a bad rap um, of, you know, using women as witnesses, et cetera, et cetera, and lead leaders in the church. And so I appreciate that. Um, although, <laughs> so now I'll just piggyback on what Matt said. I desperately want to be egalitarian in all the ways in marriage and everything. And I'm still wrestling through that, to be honest with you. Um, but when I step back and I just go big picture and I just look at what is this whole world about? It's about God. Awesome. I love God. All right, Jesus, how do you love to move best in the world? You like to take the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You love to use the outcast, the shepherd, the last chosen. You love to take our weak places and shine your light through it. You are about making beauty from ashes. And so when I look generally speaking, generally at men and women and our weaknesses and strengths, generally speaking, guys uh, tend toward either passivity or aggressiveness and not assertiveness. And so it would make sense if God is about our holistic growth that he would want to holistically call men into a leadership role because it's harder often for them, not a domineering, putting your foot down. That's not being assertive, holistic, relationally, spiritually uh, person. That's, that's the... <laughs> other side of the coin of a passive man is an aggressive man because they're both hiding somewhere. And then if I look at women, generally speaking, we, we want to go toward control, generally speaking. And so if I think this life is about God and about developing our weak places, it makes sense for me to take my strength and to, to not bury myself not dismiss, Matt and I were just talking about this a couple nights ago, the difference between denying yourself and dismissing yourself. Denying yourself is saying, I have needs and I have desires and I'm intentionally putting them aside. Dismissing yourself is saying, I don't have needs. I'm not doing that. Saying I have strength and I'm intentionally putting it aside because this is where God wants to grow me. So I think when we, you know, we're down this path, just specifically talking about this area of marriage, I see if our life is about God, how God would want to grow us where we're weak, because then it makes him look beautiful. And on that, I love that Matt and I both get the Jesus role. <laughs> I get to look like Jesus in setting my, uh, denying myself. And Matt gets to look like Jesus in leading forward. Let's talk about where the church fits into all this. Uh, you wrote, walking through our version of an impossible marriage has taught us something. We, the church, often do not know how to wisely advise each other when it comes to marriage, period. Lori, why is the church so god-awful when it comes to talking about marriage? Ah. <laughs> 
Oh, because so often we, our solutions are the quick band-aid fix. And I think the reason we go to quick band-aid fixes is just a side note is our lives are kind of our own mess and our own struggles. And we're like, wait, and you have issues like go away. I'm tired. Um, so we're just looking for, are you done? Or you're, you're not crying anymore. Oh God, now I can get back to my life. So we're always looking for quick fixes and a quick fix is, well, have you tried just having sex? <laughs> have you tried not doing celibacy in your marriage? Like we have you, so we go to those quick fixes and I think, uh, okay, so I've already named, we look for the quick fixes because we don't actually want to suffer with people because we have our own issues. The second thing is we depend on sex to somehow be the glue to fix it. And then the third thing is if we actually understood what the metaphor of marriage is, is that when two very different people, man and woman, die to themselves daily, uh, they show the world a picture, a 24-7 picture of the gospel of how Jesus died to be one with us and how we are to die daily to experience increasing oneness with him. And so we, we get a 24 seven gospel picture. There's no quick fix for the, for living the gospel out. It's all right, let's get in there. Let's figure out how we can communicate better. Let's figure out how you can hear each other better so that when people look at the two of you, they see Jesus dying to self to be one with us. So if we actually got that excited and that teary eyed and that like understanding the gravity, we would not run to these quick fixes. We wouldn't just run to sex as the answer and we'd want to get in the mess with people. So I, I think that I, I have been blown away at how few pastors and maybe every pastor and leader listening right now is the exception to the rule. And I pray it is, but really are wearing in their own marriage, the gravity and the glory and the beautiful of being able to show the world how much Jesus loves them and how they love their spouse well. I would love to hear and see that more in pastors' own lives. And then I think we, it would do, a, it would be a beautiful example to us um, to advise each other with that same gravity and weightiness and, and beauty. So I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to the library in my office. So like there's, uh, I, I categorize things by sections or topics rather than authors. So like I've got my theology section, my pastoral leadership section, my spiritual formation section. And then along with many other sections, I've got a uh, section on marriage. And I will tell you that of the section I have of all the, uh, in my library, that is the smallest section. There mm. are so few I think healthy books that talk about marriage. Now I am proud to say that y'all's book has made it into that section. Um, Matt, uh, if you were to give church some guidance on rethinking the marriage conversation, where would you start? I guess um, you did write a book on it. I mean, we could say that, but you know, for the, yeah. for the sake of the podcast. Yeah, I would, I would say the, the place to start um, when thinking about marriage differently as a church is not assuming that that is the final destination for every person walking through your church. There are so many people that 
um, that live their life and they're single and, and they never get married. Maybe they're, they're just, they were never called to marriage. And, and that is not a, a second class existence. Um, but, but when so much of the assumption is that, you know, especially in church, um, you, the assumption is, okay, grow up, go to college, get married, have kids, you know, get a house, get the dog, whatever, that that is the cookie cutter um, trajectory of life. And, and marriage is just one mode um, that, that God can call people to do the mission of spreading the gospel, making disciples in life. And so I think by, by removing marriage from this idolatrous space of this is the place you need to end up, uh, what we do is we actually elevate the call to singleness to something that is not just kind of the second rate thing, but instead it's this honored position of while we as me and Lori as a married couple get to show God and his love in a unique way, single people get to model to, to everyone around them what it is like to, to really have intimacy and oneness with Christ in a way that that is very unique and is very needed in the body of Christ. And so I think the first thing we can do is, is put an if you get married as opposed to a when you get married, when we're talking about it with people as they're growing up, uh, because it puts so much pressure on people that you get past a certain age and people start looking at you like something's wrong um, when there's nothing wrong, you know, aside from what is wrong with all of us, which is sin. You know, and, and so biggest shift that I would say is to, to start looking at singleness as, as a, an, a holy calling that, that maybe more of us than we realize have been called to, um, but not all of us are following. Lori, how do you imagine churches will use your book? I really pray that it becomes a book that everybody does like over the age of, I don't know, somebody was saying like 13, but really maybe 18 and up because single people, I've been so grateful for my single friends response uh, to our book because like, oh, this seems more real life about marriage as opposed to just seeing it with these rose colored glasses and just understanding what marriage and singleness is and well, and sex and marriages. Um, so I would, I'd hope it'd be like a small group, uh, curriculum. We have, um, some questions in the back. They are targeted for married people. Um, which is my fault. I didn't realize how many single people would benefit from our book. So forgive me. Um, uh, but it'd be really great because if we all started just plain and simple understanding that we, if we're called to marriage or singleness, but in particular marriage right this moment, are living a metaphor, a gospel picture, I could see that at least changing at a minimum the tone in our home, but perhaps a tone in our church. And um, that could be huge. So I, I would pray that small groups would really pick this up and do it. Well, if our audience wants to stay connected with you, uh, what's the best place for them to go? You can hit us up at impossiblemarriage.com. We are doing workshops now um, based off of this book for churches and leaders. Um, we're writing books. We're, we're 
books, blogs, and mini books, also known as booklets, based on the book um, Ignite the Family, a ministry just partnered with us to try and get this impossible marriage curriculum videos out. And so you can go start at impossiblemarriage.com and that will take you to where we're going next. But if you want to connect, you can find a contact page and we'd love to talk with you. Awesome. And you can follow them both on social media as well. Of course, go out and purchase an impossible marriage wherever books are sold. Uh, Lori and Matt, thank you for inviting us to uh, a, a deeply meaningful conversation about our concept of marriage and companionship, gender and sexuality as an expression of the gospel. Um, I guess, but more importantly, uh, please go pet bingo on my behalf and uh, know that I'm jealous that you'll have a new puppy in the house. <laughs> thank you. I will. This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu, to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAfee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.